Good morning, everyone. My name is Nicole, and in a moment we'll be reading the Bible together. But first, let's pray to our great God. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And we thank you that your spirit is with us and in us. We thank you that we are always in your presence because you are here with us and residing in us. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word and as James opens it up to us, that you would encourage us again, inspire us again, and remind us that we are temples of your Holy Spirit, carrying the message of Jesus through the world. We pray this in his name, amen. So we're looking at John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, where Jesus is talking about the wonderful advocate, that third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Let's read together. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now, before it happens, so that when it has happened, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Well, I wonder as we get started this morning, uh, if you guys can remember what's coming up next week. It's kind of a big deal in the life of our church, and so anyone know what we're doing next week? 
I heard some words murmured. murmured. Uh, yeah, next week, uh, we are having a special congregational meeting, and we're going to be taking a ballot on those who have been nominated for our elder and counselor role. So I'm not going to go through everything that means uh, right now. This is mostly just a reminder. And also to let you know that if you go uh, to news.livingchurch.org.au, you can see some bios on each of the people who have been nominated uh, for those elder and counselor roles if you want to read up a little bit more on the people and who they are. If you've got any questions about the process, you are more than free to come and chat with me afterwards. Uh, But just want to let you know about that. And also a reminder that we are going to be uh, also voting for our Committee of Management nominations as well, and we're going to have those names up on the website this week. We're just waiting back to hear from the last couple of people as to whether they're going to receive those nominations or not, but we'll uh, put something up on Facebook and, and probably send something out as well, just to let you know where you can see that list in advance as well. Like I said, any questions, just chat with me afterwards. All right. Today, we are going on with the Gospel of John, and we're looking at the next section here where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples in the upper room. And it's funny, as I've been thinking about uh, my sort of big idea for for this sermon, about this idea of, you know, how we remember the things that have been spoken to us. Who's the most influential person in your life when you reflect back on it and think about the person whose words have just sort of stayed with you? Uh, I know not all of us are going to have really great positive examples, and I agree with you on that. It's a really sad thing, but I'm very thankful for those people who have poured into my life in one way or another. And and what's interesting is that over the years, there's a vibe, obviously, that you pick up from them, but also... If you spend enough time with a person, it's their phrases and the words that they speak and that sort of stuff as well. Like, and, and I feel it more and more like as a, as a dad now, because you, you, one of the things that when you become a parent, you sort of realize just how much you echo the words of your parents, right? Where you catch phrases coming out of your mouth and you're like, oh my gosh, that was my dad. And you're just like, I, you know, and you, you, never, you never thought that that was going to be a thing, but you just realize it's like it just left an imprint on you. Uh, and so I, I've been thinking about that this week, like the words of my dad that, that have stayed with me. So he'd always talk about, uh, you know, that's a lazy man's load, James, which basically meant I was trying to carry too much stuff at once and I was going to drop it and make more work for myself. Lazy man's load. Uh, what else would we do? Two hands for beginners. You know, if I was, again, trying to do something a little fancily. You know, not that I would ever do a showy thing. Um, two hands for beginners, James. Uh, practice doesn't make perfect, James. Perfect practice makes perfect. It was intense growing up in my house, uh, just at times. I've got more stories. Anyway, uh, focus on the foundations, back to basics. These are, and, and I hear these things you know, just in the course of my life, and it's funny. You don't often sort of stop and think about them, but I've just realized that, that, that it just sort of stays with me, these, these words of my dad. And we're going to see, as we look at this passage today, how Jesus promises to send someone to his disciples after he dies and rises again and goes to be back with the Father again, that they're not just going to have the memory of his words with them, but they're actually going to have somebody living in them to remind them and point them back to the teaching that Jesus gave to them. And we're going to fill out the the fullness of what that means because it's extraordinary. All right. 
Quick uh, little bit of recap here so we remember where we're up to in this uh, conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Uh, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet uh, in this upper room. He started a conversation with them, and he's dropped some bad news on them so far. Uh, He said to them, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. That, of course, is Judas Iscariot. Uh, He then says that, you know, I'm going to be leaving you guys. Where I'm going, you cannot follow. And then he says that Peter, my main guy, kind of the unofficial leader of the disciples, uh, you're going to disown me three times before the crococks in the morning. Rough party, right? Not, not, not a great vibe in the room at this point. But then, perhaps reading the room, he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And they had this conversation about, you know, how does this work? And Jesus is sort of explaining to them about, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and that sort of stuff. And they're like, you know, Jesus, just show us the Father. That's going to be enough. And he says to them with somewhat, you know, maybe not quite exasperation, but certainly like, come on, guys. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? And it turns out that this has been one of Jesus' big teaching points through all of the gospel. He wants his followers to understand, as he said in John chapter 10, that I and the Father are one. This is the night before Jesus is about to be crucified. Why are the religious leaders of his own time trying to crucify him? It's because they had heard his teaching and concluded this man is claiming to be equal with God. And they said, that's blasphemy. That that is to take the Lord's name in vain. And here's the thing. If Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, they would have been absolutely correct. That would have been a crime against the Jewish law. But Jesus has shown again and again through the miracles that he's done, through the power of his teaching, that he really is equal with God. And so with that in mind, he now says to these guys, I know I've I've told you some bad news, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe and trust in me. And also I've got some amazing news for you. He says to them, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, the miracles, the healings, that sort of stuff, but they'll do even greater things because I'm going to be with the Father. And those greater things are not so much, you know, more amazing miracles, but rather these guys that are in the upper room with him are going to go forth and be the early leaders in the church. And we talked about how thousands, nay tens, nay hundreds, nay millions, nay billions of people have since come to believe in Jesus through the testimony of these guys who are in the upper room with Jesus. These guys were so convinced by what they'd seen that even though 10 of the 11 surviving disciples would be executed for their faith, they would not deny that Jesus was the Son of God. They went, and this is the thing, guys. People may go and tell a lie to gain something, maybe money, maybe fame, maybe popularity, but it's a really weird thing for somebody to hold on to a lie to the point where they're willing to die for it, and even more than that, to see 10 out of 11 followers of this guy commit to the same lie for no personal gain whatsoever. The time that these guys spent with Jesus and the teaching that they received here in the upper room led to them being so completely convinced that Jesus was the Son of God that they would go forth and change the world through the proclamation of their testimony, doing greater things than these. But now we get to the start of our passage here. He's just told them you're going to do greater things, and then he says to them, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, 
And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, a little bit going on here. Okay, first up, what does he mean when he says, uh, keep my commands? Is he talking about the Jewish law? Like if Jesus is God, does he mean like all the 613 laws of the Old Testament? It's really easy to mishear this if we're not careful, that, or, you know, to, to think that what Jesus is saying, that what he's really all about is following rules. But we need to look at the context of this conversation to understand what are the commands that he's talking about here. So remember, we go back just a little bit earlier in this conversation. Okay, they're spending the night together, having dinner, all that sort of stuff. And he'd said explicitly to them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And what else has he commanded them? What's the imperative that he's given to them in this conversation? He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. When Jesus speaks here of if you love me, obey my commands, he's not talking about a list of legalistic rules. He's talking about believe in me and love one another. If you love me, believe in me, and love one another. In another part of Scripture, that's how Jesus summed up the entire law of the Old Testament, right? What what is the the greatest law in all the Old Testament that teachers asked him? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. At the heart of obedience to Jesus means believing in him, trusting in him, believing he is the Son of God, that he is God himself, and then loving one another. But who is this person that he's going to send to them? He says that he's going away. He knows that his, his death and his resurrection and his ascension, his, his rising up to go be with the Father is coming soon. And so he says to them, but it's okay, because I'm going to give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, this advocate word, it's a a tricky one. You you can see it translated in probably different ways in some of the different Bibles that you have out there. Sometimes it gets translated as helper, sometimes as comforter, that sort of an idea. And the reason why it's a tricky word to translate is because it it kind of represents something that we don't have a simple category for now in our contemporary times. Because when we, we think advocate, what do we think of? Like a lawyer, right? Something like that, yeah? It's, it's, kind of got that idea. The idea of this, the Greek word is paraclete. What, what it means is somebody who comes alongside of you to speak for you. Now you can sort of see how that feels a bit like an advocate, like your, your, your advocate in a courtroom is your lawyer who speaks for you. Okay, but it's a broader category than that. It's not just a legal idea. It's this idea of one who comes beside you to help you, one who provides you with aid. Jesus has said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. I'm going away, but I'm going to send to you a helper, a comforter, an advocate, somebody who is going to be with you, come alongside you, and speak for you. That, that's the idea that we've got going on here. And if you want to get, a, a, again, a clearer picture of that, it's really interesting that he says that it's another advocate. Who, who's been the first advocate for them? Jesus himself, right? So again, he's saying, I'm going away, but don't worry, because I'm going to send another advocate, another person who's going to come alongside you and speak for you. That's who I'm sending. In fact, Jesus says later on in chapter 16, he's going to say, hey, and listen, it's actually a good thing that I'm going, because if I stayed, you wouldn't get this guy. That's how big a deal he is. 
And he's someone who's going to be with them forever. And Jesus calls him the spirit of truth. Oops, sorry. Too far. The spirit of truth. Now again, a little bit later in the passage, it's going to name him as well the Holy Spirit. That's who we're talking about here. And so the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, as we're going to see, is, is tied to the idea of the, the, the word that Jesus has spoken. He, he truly represents Jesus' words and who God is. That's what the role of the Spirit is. I'll come back and talk to him just a little bit more, but, but let's look at what Jesus says that he's, he is going to bring to them. He goes on to say, The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So the, the world, when he, when he says the world there, what he's talking about is, is basically... Everyone out there who doesn't know me, who doesn't love me. That, that's kind of the way that Jesus uses the world language here. So there's the world, there's everybody out there, and then there's those who love me. The world, everybody out there, they can't accept him, and we're going to find out because they don't love Jesus. They, they're not going to be able to receive him. But he says to them, but you know him, for he lives with you, present tense. Okay, so you know him, present tense, for he lives with you, present tense, and will be what? In you. So the spirit of truth has always been active amongst God's people. He's always been with God's people. We can even look at examples in the Old Testament of the spirit of God coming upon God's people. But now Jesus is making a promise that as he departs to be with the Father, the spirit of God is going to live in those who love him. And this is a theme that gets picked up through the rest of the, the New Testament. Just a few examples, right? So you can see it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Okay, I really want you guys to just slow down and get this for a second, okay? Because it, it's kind of mind-blowing and it's really easy just to, to brush past unless we really pause and meditate on this a second. If you are believing in Jesus, the spirit of God lives in you. And what I need to do is I need to magnify this for you. I need to blow this up a little bit. Because I think that sometimes when we talk about the spirit and we talk about spiritual things, because of you know, lots of different things in our culture that sort of talk about a spirit and all that sort of stuff, we, we can think of you know, the spirit as sort of being the, you know, the, the vigor with which we do something, you know, which it can be. That's a good way to, to use that word. We can, we can talk about you know, something that, that motivates us or the vibe of a thing and all that sort of stuff, right? That, you know, we can really easily associate the word spirit, the spirit of something with the vibe of something. But that's not what we're talking about here. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the person who is one of the three persons in the one God. So classic Christian theology, right? Father, Son, Spirit, three in one. The Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, but all are God. Now, that's weird and that's trippy. If you have questions about it, talk about it later. 
But what I need you to understand right now is the spirit is not just this little cloudy sort of floaty thing that, that you know, is around sometimes and sometimes it makes you feel warm and fuzzy and then he sort of floats on. That, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about one of the members of the Trinity living in you now. This moment. In you. And you might be like, no, James, it seems like if something that big was happening, I might feel a bit better. <laughs> in general. I might feel a greater sense of wholeness or something like that. But this thing, we need to understand what his role is. Because, you know, we, think about it, right? When Jesus was with the disciples, literally they were face to face with Jesus, the Son of God. Were they always looking at him just like, oh, gosh, that's the Lord? No, right? He was the Son of God. He shows this through the miracles that he does. He dies upon the cross. He's glorified. There's a couple of moments when the, like the heavens are open sort of stuff. The Spirit of God descends upon him. The tra- he's transfigured. He's glowing white and all that sort of stuff. There are moments when they catch a glimpse of his glory. But most of the time, being with Jesus was like being here with you and me. And it's the same for us with the Holy Spirit. He lives in us, but that doesn't mean that we're like permanently floating and, and just like, whoa, Spirit. I mean, that'd be weird for Presbyterians, right? I mean, <laughs> some church. No, okay. But this thing, and I mean this seriously, like, depending on your faith tradition, the spirit can be like a weird thing. It can be associated with odd stuff. Ooh, I don't want spirit. Mm, keep that at a distance. That's, that's, that's weird. But the spirit of God is Jesus' gift to us. We need to understand the Holy Spirit, what he does, and how he lives in us. Now, Jesus is going to tell us very specifically in a second what the Holy Spirit does for us. But first, he wants to direct them again to where he's going and what's happening with him so they understand why the Spirit needs to come. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. He's going to the cross. He's going to die. But you will see me when he rises again. Because I live, you also will live. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, when we believe in him, we too have a chance to live, to rise again, to have resurrection life. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, hold on. He just said the Spirit's going to be in us. But now he's also telling us that, that Jesus is in us, and that we're in him. And this is important. This is, this is actually something that this, the Spirit does. When the Spirit lives in us, one of the works that the Spirit does is to join us to Jesus. We're in Him. That, that's how these things fit together. We're going to realize upon the resurrection that, man, all this stuff that Jesus has been talking about, about Him and God, it's all true. And that also means that we're, that we're in Him. He goes on. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What are those commands? Believe in me, love one another. Whoever has my commands, whoever understands, believe me and love one another and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's what it looks like to love Jesus. Not to follow a bunch of rules. Not to be trying to you know, enforce your stuff on, on other people. Not to be judging folk. It looks like believing and trusting Jesus and loving one another as he calls us to in accordance with his word. 
And as we do this, we are loved. As we believe in Jesus, as we love one another, we're loved by the Father. And he reveals himself to us. But remember, this is all part of a, a conversation that Jesus is having here in the upper room. The disciples are there. They're sitting around the table. That's the context for him saying all this stuff. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, you've got you to imagine, right, that after, you know, there's two disciples named Judas. One of them betrays Jesus and is forever known as Judas the betrayer. So you just got to get the vibe, right, that every time Judas introduces himself to a new group, he's like, hi, I'm Judas, not Iscariot. So his, his, his friend John here doing him a solid, describing him that. He said, then Judas, not Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And I I love this question. Because I I think what Judas is actually doing here is is showing concern. Like, you know, they've just been promised something amazing. The Holy Spirit is going to live in them. And and Judas's question is, why us and not the world? Now, we're not told exactly why he asked this question. It's possible that, you know, maybe he was hoping for, for judgment on the world or something. I, do, I don't know. That doesn't seem to be the vibe here. It, he's just been promised something absolutely amazing. The Holy Spirit's going to live him. And, and, and Judas's question seems to be, but what about the rest of the world? I don't know. I, I, I want to believe it's a, it's a question based in softness and kindness to all those out there, right? And Jesus replies, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Judas asks, why will you not reveal yourself to the world? And Jesus' answer is, is that I'll reveal myself to those who love me, to, to those who want to know me, those who believe me. And, and, and that's the thing, right? Is that this is the decision moment for people all across the world and has been for the last 2,000 years of human history. Am I going to believe Jesus and trust in him? Has he done enough through his miracles, through his death and his resurrection, his teaching, his sacrifice? Has he done enough for us to believe that he is who that he says that he is? Because he'll reveal himself to you if that's your heart. But he also says those that refuse to obey, not not the long list of rules, but those who refuse to obey my teaching to believe me and love one another, they won't know. And he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so Jesus has promised them he's going away, but he's going to send another advocate, a helper, a comforter, the spirit of truth, and he's going to live in you. And what is this Holy Spirit going to do? He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So again, when we think about like the Bible and the Word of God and that sort of stuff, and then we think about the Spirit, we can do this weird thing where we sort of separate them and think that somehow these are two different things. That you've got the Word of God, and that's, that's the, the text, and that's the authoritative stuff and all that sort of stuff. And then you've got the Spirit over here, and that's all kind of vibey and a little bit more free-flowing. And, mm, 
Don't know what to do with that. But what Jesus says here is that, that word and spirit work hand in hand. That what the spirit does is teach all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's primary job is to bring to mind those things that Jesus taught us. The gospel of grace. The reality of who he is. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's what he's saying, again, to these guys who are going to go forth and change the world. The main thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do for them is not the miracles. It's not, it's not the incredible stuff that we're going to see happening in the early church. It's, I'm going to remind you of what Jesus has taught. Because that's the thing that changes the world. It's the message of hope that the gospel brings. And so he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Remember, this this whole thing that he's giving to them now, it's in the context of comforting them after telling them, uh, yeah, betrayal, I'm leaving, disowning. It is bad. There's some rough stuff coming. But I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. You're not going to forget. He's going to teach you all things. My peace is going to be with you. I don't, I don't give like the world gives. I don't give and take back. I don't give for my own self-interest. I'm giving so you might have peace and your hearts will not be troubled. And he drops this little bit on them here that we need to unpack this a little bit. He says, you heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than and I. Now, why might that be a, a, a bit of a curveball here for us based on everything else that Jesus has been teaching throughout this gospel? Why is his statement here, the Father is greater than I, and a bit of an odd one given everything else that we've been talking about? I'm serious, I'm asking. I and the Father are one, right? Did, did you look at my slides, Divya? That's not cool, right? Can't just jump ahead, get in. No, okay. Jesus' big message, right, through this whole thing has been, I and the Father are one. I am God. I'm equal to God. The very thing that the Jewish leaders are going to kill him for is his claims to be equal with God. But now he's like, the Father, though, is greater than I. Now, you know, I just, I, I dropped it on you before, the, like classic Orthodox Christian Trinitarian theology is Father, Son, Spirit, all God, that that they are equal, all of them equally God. There's nothing lacking in Jesus' godness. So what could it mean? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is God, but Jesus is also human. And God is greater than humans. And without getting too far into this thing, for for Jesus as a human, though still remaining 100% God, as a human, can rightly say, The Father, who is only all God, is greater than I. There's a sense there in which, you know, it's a good thing for for me in this earthly world as I'm with you here to go back to the one with whom I am glorified and, and who is greater than everything here in this world. If you loved me, you'd recognize that this is a great and glorious thing that I'm about to do. That that you know that you rejoice with me even as I go back to him. And he says now, 
what we've been saying all along, the reason that he's been saying all this. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. Okay, so the whole reason he's been running through this with these guys is hard times are coming. He's about to die. The disciples are going to think, my goodness, our cause has ended. It's all over. And he's prepping them. He knows that there's some really tough stuff coming. So, but he's told them so you know before it happens so that when it does, you can still believe. I will not say much more to you apart from the two more chapters of stuff that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Um, it's a classic preacher move, right? In closing, six more points. Um, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. Okay, so he's told him that, um, why, it's ha- why he's telling him all this, and then he says the prince of this world is coming. The prince of this world, at this time, is actually Satan. It's the devil. Through sin, the idea in the Bible is that because we've all sinned, we've all turned away from God, that in a sense, Satan now rules in this world. And he's telling them that the prince of this world is coming. What he means is this plan of the prince of darkness to see me dead is about to come to pass. But he has no hold over me. He comes so the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. The Prince of Darkness thinks that he's about to get one up on me. He thinks that this is his moment. He thinks that he's about to get victory because I'm going to be dead. But actually, this is all just part of our plan so that nobody will be in any doubt that the Son of God does exactly what the Father asks him to, even through death and on to life. So, what are we, what are we taking away with this? I mean, first up, again, as we've talked about all the way through John, and if you're here visiting with us, it's so great to have you here, but, but the, the message for you is just really simple. Jesus wants you to believe and trust in him. Jesus has said multiple times throughout this gospel that he hasn't come to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus' entire heart is that you would believe and trust in him as the son of God. That's why he did the miracles. That's why he dies and rises again. It's, I mean, he dies and rises again to pay the price for our sins and to conquer over death. But it's also the biggest flashing neon sign that says, I really am God. Promise. Truly. Amen. Like, it's, just, it's, it's that sort of a statement. And this is the thing. If you're here and you're checking this thing out, or maybe you don't normally come to church or anything else like that, my hope, if nothing else, is that you might be intrigued enough to say, yeah, that actually is like a really big call to die and rise again and to sort of pin that you are God based on that. One of the things we've been saying these last couple of weeks is that you look at different religions, different ideas out there in the world. Jesus is, is the only one who claims that he will die and rise again, does it, and leaves an empty tomb that he can point to and just be like, that's what I'm talking about. Paraphrase. It's, 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 it's his gift to us so that we might believe in him and know God. And my prayer this morning is that if you're here visiting with us and don't yet do that, that you've heard enough to at least say, maybe I should check this out some more. Maybe talk about it with the person who brought you along. Because this is the biggest decision that you'll make in the spiritual realm. Because if it's true, it means everything. And if it's false, you'd at least like some confidence that you looked at it seriously so that you know that you're rejecting something you understand and not just dismissing the death and resurrection of a person who convinced a bunch of people to change the world. But what about those of us who are believing? What what, what do we take away from this awesome news that the Spirit of God lives in us? Well, I mean, look, there's 
There's lots of stuff uh, as we talk about the Spirit that we could get into here. I just want to drop you with a couple, okay? I want to mention, of course, the fruit of the Spirit, all right? That there's a sense that the Spirit of God brings change to us. I want to recognize that, but that's not really what this passage is about. There is a transformation that takes place in us through the work of the Spirit. But I wonder, as you've thought about this, as you've thought about what the fruit of the Spirit is, have you ever joined the dots before to the fact that the Spirit does indeed change and transform us, but how might he do that? Is it just a magical spiritual transformation? I mean, there is absolutely a regeneration that takes place. It says in Scripture that we are given a new spirit, that our sinful nature, okay, dies, and that we are born again and given a new spirit. That's 100% a spirituality that takes place. But how does the fruit of the Spirit develop and grow within us? I'm pretty sure it's because the Holy Spirit reminds us of what Jesus taught us to be and do. That if you're there and you're praying and you're like, you know, why, why, why am I angry all the time? Why am I, why am I failing in this area? Why, why am I not growing in this? Holy Spirit, please change me. And nothing's happening. It's, what? Have you gone to God's word to work with the Spirit there? Are you hoping for the Spirit of God to work something in you without actually going to the very place that he says he's going to speak through, which is God's Word? Now, obviously, we're big Bible people here. Everybody knows this, but what I'm hoping this morning that we might do at least in a little bit is tie for you together the work of reading the Word and the Spirit of God being active in your life. Because if the Holy Spirit reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught, what's the really, if, if somebody is reminding me of something, what's the important step that has to take place before the reminder? I've got to learn it in the first place, right? I've got to know, I've got to listen. So the reason that we, we do things like we come to church and we go to growth group and we read the Bible for ourselves is so that we can learn from Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can remind us about what Jesus has taught. The Spirit of God lives in me, but I want to work with the Spirit. Again, we're not just puppets here. We don't just give control of ourselves over to the Spirit. As we work at our salvation with fear and trembling, as we pour into the gospel, as we seek to know it and understand it well, the Spirit of God is working with us to keep bringing this back to mind. Last part, and promise, not six points, just one. I was there on Friday night. It's been a big week. Complex, lots of stuff happening. Uh, and I was just, I was stretched, and I was really annoyed at myself because I, I, I stayed up too late. Kids have been sick. I was like, this is ridiculous. They're probably going to be up early. And I was just lying a bit. And I was, and just, I don't know if you've ever been, like, you just get so frustrated that it's like your, your body is switched on, and it's so hard to switch off at that point and get to sleep, right? And then I'm getting even more mad because I'm like, I just want to get to sleep because those kids are going to be up in like four and a half hours, and I, and I love my kids, but right now, I'll tell you what, and I'm just... <sighs> And into my head dropped that we forgive others because Christ first forgave us. And that we love one another in the same way that Christ has loved us. And I started to breathe. And it's so cool. The Spirit of God, uh, it, it's, you can translate, it's, it's the breath of God. Like the, 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 in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the same word for Spirit is the same word for breath. And I just start to breathe. Just remember that love of Jesus. Remember the, the picture of him, my friend Jesus, and all that he's done for me. 
And listen, it didn't work a complete magical transformation. It helped. I was able to sort of refocus. I got to sleep. I was still pretty grumpy. I mean, it doesn't, you know, again, you can't just be like, you know, I'll pray in the spirit all night long. I don't need sleep. That's not not how that works. But I was in a much better place. And it's, it's because that those words were there for the spirit to bring to mind. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so grateful for it. But that, that, that's why all this stuff that we do together is so important. Because as we soak in the word of God, as we, as we meditate on it, as we, as we absorb that, the spirit is there with us, bringing it to mind to help us to love and live and to obey, obey Jesus, to believe in him, to love one another. And let's pray for that now. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you, Lord, for the humble way that he serves us, for the example of love that he puts before us. Thank you that he died upon the cross to pay the price for our sins and that he rose from the dead to defeat death, but also to reveal to us who he is, that he is the son of God, that he is equal with God, And we rejoice that he has gone back to be with you now. And we rejoice being especially thankful that the Holy Spirit has been sent and that he lives in all those who believe now. And we pray, Father, we would follow your spirit as you remind us of the things that we learn here in church and growth group and our own personal reading of scripture. Lord, please work in us, remind us again and again and again and again of the good news of the gospel and all that it means for us. And we pray, Father, for all those here who don't yet know you. We pray unashamedly, Father, that they might be intrigued, that they might believe and trust in you, that we as a community would find ways to love and and help anyone here seeking this morning in order that we might see the good news of your gospel go forth into more and more hearts, see more people added to this community here for your glory and for your namesake. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.